Good morning. My name is Kate Wauda, and I'm going to read the scripture for us this morning, and it's from Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought them all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them, drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners, sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in, an, in a good old age." And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Riphram, and the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Kate, you nailed that. That was impressive. Yeah. Oh, I love that story. Uh, good morning, everybody. Seriously, like, I'm not saying it for my health. Like, <laughs> well, I kind of. It's, it's good to be positive, right? It's good to be. Anyway, uh, as you were saying, my name's Chris, and uh, I am just, I'm so excited to be here on this uh, kind of final Sunday uh, with you guys. I'm really uh, excited for what the Lord's doing, and I'm excited for our team. We have such a wonderful team uh, that's been assembled, and, and just really pumped to see what God's going to be doing uh, in this, in the community as we move out in faith. And reading that story, it's funny because it's there's a lot of faith that's being done by a lot of the people on the team because there's folks coming from here and from Chilliwack and and stuff. And there's there's some unknowns that are going on, but we're needing to trust that God is with us and and He's going before us. And so it's it's just a fantastic opportunity for us to do that. So in 2009, I spent the I'd been a Christian for about a year and a half, and I spent the summer in Guatemala. I did like a two month internship there. 
And it was awesome. I had tons and tons of great adventures, but one of the most harrowing adventures that I had was it involved trying to find a school that the, I was staying with missionaries half the time and a Guatemalan family the rest of the time, but we'd gone up and had helped uh, some people on, up a volcano, and then coming back down, we stumbled upon this school, and we gave them blankets and stuff, but they, it was about 350 kids, and I think two teachers or something like that. So we talk about class sizes, right? Like, it's pretty crazy. And so I got in my head, I wanted to go back and, and help them. But it, it, as I said, it was on the side of a volcano in the middle of nowhere, bandit infested territory in kind of like a jungle. And I had like a little tiny bit of Spanglish to, to get by with, right? So it was going to be tough. But long story short, I, I, after a few days, I managed to get to the little town at the base of the volcano. And then to get up, I hitched a ride on this little, it was like a little beat 2200 uh, Nissan truck. There was a whole bunch of people and chickens and produce in the back of the truck and there was a kind of a roll cage on it so I couldn't fit in. So I was standing on a bumper holding onto this cage with my new friend, this, a, a guy by the name of Luis. We, we became tight. And we're holding on for dear life as we're cruising up this kind of one and a half lane road up the side of this volcano. And so we get to this place, and uh, they pull over on the side of the road, and, and we're in the middle of nowhere. And he gets off, Luis gets off, and I told the driver I wanted to go to, the name of the town was San Jose Calderas. And he, the, Luis jumps off, and then he, he just pointed at me and kind of beckons, and he's like, Calderas. And he, but he's pointing at the jungle. I'm like, dude, that, that ain't Calderas. That's, that's the jungle. Right? Like, I, I've been to Calderas before, and, I, and that's not it. But he's like, no, no, no. Like, like, come on, let's go. So I just met my friend Luis, and I had a choice to make, whether or not I was going to trust him, whether or not I thought that he was going to be able to fulfill this promise that he was making in, in his own way to get me to Calderas. As we read this story, we, we see that Abram has come to a bit of a crossroads as well. He's been given promises by God, but he's starting to wonder exactly whether or not these promises are going to come to fruition, to see whether or not they're going to happen. He's starting to wonder whether or not everything is actually going to be okay. Because this is what happens when one commits oneself to living a life of radical faith in God. So, ah, what have I gotten myself into should roll around our heads sometimes if we're living in faith for God. We should be putting ourselves into these situations where we should be wondering how we're going to be able to get through this. Because in order for the optimal outcome to occur in these situations, God necessarily must show up. If we can do everything just on our own, then what do we, what do we need him for? What do we need the spirit for? We need God to be able to back us up. But he knows that as we go through, we're going to struggle. And so that's one of the reasons I love the passage that we read today. Because in it, we see God reassuring Abram. And this is, our, this is the big idea. It kind of looks like three big ideas, but I'm just I'm making it one big idea. And that's, fear not, have faith, follow me. Fear not, have faith, follow me. This is certainly applying to Abram, but this applies to everybody that seeks to follow after God with all they have. This is what he's saying to all of us. And so as we're going to go back through this passage, it's too big to keep up on the thing. So I, I hope if you, if you want to follow along, you have your Bibles. If you don't, use your phone or tablet. But there's also some in the foyer if you want to go grab them. But there's, it's a very rich passage. I'm not going to go into every detail. But what I am going to make sure I 
do is show how we can trust God so we don't have to fear how we can have faith in him and how we can follow him. So as I go through that, I hope that these questions roll through your mind or this question in particular in that, where do I put my trust? In whom or in what do I have hope? Is it in another person? Is it, do I look to my spouse or somebody like that to give my life meaning and to know that everything is going to be okay? Do I look to a teacher? Do I look to a professor? Do I look to a coworker, to a boss, somebody like that? Or do I look to God? And if that's the case, then how does that meet itself out? How do I then live my life to show that? Because if you're here this morning, and, and whether you're a Christian or not, and if you're not, I'm, I'm really glad you're here with us. I hope that you'll listen and hear this story and, and hear the, the parts of the story that show and, and paint the picture of a God, a gracious God, who slowly has been introducing himself to a people over time, a people who don't always care that he's there, nor care about what he wants them to do, but nevertheless is faithfully walking with us as we do that. So let's dive back in. So as we've been going through the series, we've been doing it for a couple of weeks now. We started in, in uh, Genesis 12. Sorry, I always get in trouble for not doing up my uh, cuffs, and I just realized they're flapping around a little bit. <laughs> and I know it was, it, like Sarah's mind was blowing, <laughs> so I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to do those up. <laughs> well, I, I, then I hear about it, right? And, but it's true. Like, I sh yeah, I got to keep, keep appearances up. So one thing you've noticed, speaking of keeping appearances up, as we go through this series, Abram's life, it reads a little bit like the beginning of a tale of two cities, right? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. It's kind of like Sarah. When we, when we're, sometimes when we're uh, playing with Cadman, we'll be singing the old McDonald's song. And so she'll do the sound effects as we do the different animal noises. And I'm not just saying this because, you know, like she's my wife and I love her. I'm like, oh, it's so cute. He's so supportive. She, she literally can do like these perfect animal noises. It's, un, it, it's honestly, it's unbelievable. I, I get chills when I hear them. It's amazing. <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm on McDonald's farm, but old McDonald's farm. <laughs> but then we will we'll like play Star Wars or something like that. And her sound effects at that point, well, they, they, they kind of go direct the other way, right? There's, there's a lot of like, pew, pew, going on and stuff. And it doesn't, it doesn't quite sound the same. So one minute, Abram is going along, right? And he's on top of the world. He seems like he has all the faith and he's just rocking it. The next minute, the dude is denying that Sarai, his wife, is his wife, so there's, there's a lot of ups and downs. But as we read through this story, that's going to continue, by the way, not to ruin it. But here's the deal. When the story, as it progresses, as we read it, we see that Abram progresses. He starts to grow. You can see the development of the relationship between him and God. We can see him growing. We can see him learning. 
And this, here's a 99 cent theological term for you, for those of you who like to study the Bible. This is something called progressive revelation. Progressive revelation, basically, it's God over time has introduced himself in clearer and clearer, more robust ways as time has gone on. So we start in uh, Genesis 12 with Abram. Basically, I exist and I need you to go from here to here. Pretty simple. But then he moves on and then is with Abram, you'll see in our passage. But even when we get to, say, Moses with the law, God is introducing even more clear instruction for his people. Till finally it culminates in the person of Jesus Christ, who is the full gospel, the full revelation of who God is. So it's, it's progressing. It's revelation that progresses. Okay. I like to think of it as school for souls. We're, we're all souls and we're all learning to be able to uh, live with God in eternity. So it's like when you go to school, you're four years old or however old you are when you start school, you don't go from zero to calculus, right? You start at the beginning and then you slowly walk your way through. God is taking Abram and he's starting at the beginning and he's slowly starting to walk his way through. So that's why our passage today, it has a number of recorded firsts in them. And I gave us six. In, for the first time, Abram speaks to God when God speaks to him. He responds, verses 2 and and 8. So it's now a conversation between the two of them. It's not just God talking at him. The introductory phrase, the word of the Lord came to Abram or to him in verse 1 and verse 4. That's unique. Still in verse 1, God appears to Abram in a vision. That's never happened before. Verse 6, it says that, or it records that Abram believed. This is also new. Verse 7, when God speaks to Abram, he actually identifies himself. This has not happened as of yet. And then finally, in verses 13 to 16, God gives him explicit future events, details about things that are going to happen, hunt like many, many, many years in the future. This is all new stuff. And I don't think it's a coincidence that all this is happening right on the heels of the, of the encounter that we learned about last week, namely that Abram met Melchizedek. Remember the God from God of most high. So he's getting to experience somebody who has a whole other level of faith and understanding of who God is. And Melchizedek blesses Abram. So we see all these first coming right on the heels of that. His faith is growing. Abram is learning. I think sometimes in the church, we get caught up for good reason in the idea that God is preparing a place for his people. See those peas? That's for you. Pastor Eldon, a lot of peace. God's preparing a place for his people, right? Jesus says, I'm going to go. My father's house has many rooms. I'm going to prepare one for you. Awesome. Place for my people. But God is also, ready for more peace, preparing his people for a place. It's a whole lot of peace for you, man. This is, I see, I love alliteration, but not as much as Pastor Eldon. So I always try to throw him a bone because this is like, really get some hooks in there. But you guys see what I'm getting at? Like, God's preparing a place for us, but he needs us to be prepared to live there, to be in relationship with him. So he's taking us along slowly. So class in this is in session. And now we're actually starting to see some fruit from the lesson plan. Follow? Note, though, that this doesn't mean that Abram is now perfect and is going to get everything right from here on out. Okay? That's foreshadowing. So back to verse 1. So it tells us that we're, the, our writer tells us that we're coming off of these things. What are these things? Well, as Eldon so skillfully last week took us through, that was Abram rescuing Lot 
from the, those wicked kings and then being blessed by Melchizedek. So we know that what he's talking about next is going to be impacted by that. And at that point, Abram's at a pretty tall point or a high point. So on the heels of that episode, our writer starts by saying, by telling us, by the readers, that the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. So when we look at the whole passage, the 21 verses, it's essentially broken up into two scenes, if you will. The first six verses and then 7 to 21. There's, he talks about two different promises, the, the child as well as the land. And then there's essentially two visions that take place in there as well. So scene one starts with the word of the Lord coming to him in this vision. So this means that God reached out and communicated to him. In the Bible, we read about a lot of ways that God communicates with people. The primary one is through his word, through scripture. That's how we get the special revelation. There's another good uh, theological term for you. But God does communicate in many different ways uh, as shown in the Bible. One of them is visions. God also communicates through dreams. God can communicate through, we can communicate, God can communicate through us to one another. And God also, uh, see verse, or Psalm 19, God also communicates through nature. The heavens declare the glories of God. Okay? But the primary one is scripture. But here, he's talking to Abram through a vision. And this is very, very key because the language that he's using depicts Abram. The writer's very, very clear about wanting us to understand that Abram is a prophet. We're going to get into that more in a couple of weeks. But it's important because a prophet is somebody who has a very special relationship with God. And so the, the writer's wanting to, the readers to be clear about that. Abram is even more special, though, because we're going to, if you were to read through the Old Testament, you get to Isaiah in chapter 41. It talks about him being called friend of God. And we're going to read, actually, James, uh, the brother of Jesus, quotes Isaiah. And we're going to read that verse in a couple of seconds. So this is just showing how tight this relationship is as it develops between God and Abram. So God is coming to him in a vision and he's telling him not to fear. Fear what? Well, option one is don't fear. Remember Abram, those kings whose butts you just whooped? Don't fear any reprisal from those guys. God says, I'm going to be your shield. Sort of has military connotations, right? Uh, so don't worry about them. I'll be able to hold them at bay. You have bigger fish to fry. Or, and, kind of with a slash, he could be fearing his legacy not being fulfilled. He, it's been a number of years. When he first met God, he was, the text tells us in Genesis 12, he was 75 years old. The next, in Genesis 16, he's going to be 86. So somewhere in there, he's in his early to mid 80s. And so he's been going, traveling with God, journeying with him for a while. And so far, the promises that God has made to him have not been fulfilled. So he's starting to wonder. He's wondering so much, in fact, that he's worried he's going to have to give his stuff to Eliezer of Damascus. Imagine being Eliezer of Damascus. He's kind of just like, this guy, I don't want to give him my stuff, right? And I'm sure it's nothing personal against Eliezer of Damascus. He just wants his stuff to go to his own heir. And so God says, comes to him in a very reassuring way and says, don't be afraid. So whether it's the, the king's thing or the, the kid thing, either way, he's coming to him and saying, don't worry about it. And he assures him in this very beautiful, beautiful way that he, not only does he have to worry about the kings whose butts he just whooped, he will receive a child. His heir will be, and it, in the Hebrew, it's interesting, it says will be of his own loins. So it gets kind of gets graphic. 
But not only that, this child that will come will be the beginning of a group of descendants that will be more numerous than the stars. So if you're to read into Deuteronomy 1, as they're coming into the promised land, Moses describes the Israelites to themselves as more numerous than the stars. And so that's it's a mere 600 years-ish, you know, give or take, later. And the, that promise is already being fulfilled. Not to mention that they are coming into the land. Personally, though, as Abram is, is struggling with whether or not, like he's, he's got still a, a, a light faith, right? He's growing, learning about God. I can understand about that struggle. I can empathize with him. As we walk through life, things are happening. And sometimes the, the why, the when, the how questions start to come up in our minds as we're praying to God. When we look at our life how, and think about how things should be, right? And for me, the expectations are strong with this guy when I think about making plans. It's very easy for us to make plans with things that, uh, with some sense of certainty that we really shouldn't be making plans about. Like take, and I think kids is, is the biggest one, right? So like just for fun, how many of you, whether you're married or not, have thought this? Okay, I'm going to have two or three kids, or if you're Dutch, seven or eight kids, <laughs> right? So it's just, that's never going to end now, I think. We're going we're gonna to have this many kids. We're going to have them this many years apart. We're going to uh, have even genders, right? And we're going to try to offset them. And then we're going to have them at this time of the year. Not too early because then it's kind of wintry or whatever, but not too late because, you know, the third trimester, it gets really hot, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I know for Sarah and I, when we were making our plans, we, were, we weren't quite that specific, but we got pretty specific, right? We had plans, man. We were going to have this many kids this far apart. And so we were like, okay, should we try? Yep. Boom. We're on pace, right? Everything is working out. We're going along. We hit 27 weeks and then it got kind of dicey. We almost lost Caddy. Then he almost came early, but he held on to 36, was born. Boom. We're right on track, Right. Okay, we waited the requisite amount of time, tried again, boom, we're still going. We're like, man, this is easy, right? Like, God, woohoo, we're going along. But then we hit the second trimester. And you guys know that the second trimester, this is the one where statistics say that miscarriage, it's really, it doesn't happen all that often. Well, well we lost that guy. Uh, his name was Bun, because, you know, he was, he was in the oven. <laughs> but, but we lost him. We didn't plan that. Okay, well, let's, let's try again, right? Boom, we're back on track, kind of. It's a little bit later than we would have liked, but hey, you know, still on track. We're going along, and then we, everything's fine, then we hit that second trimester again. You guys remember the one? The one they say that, that miscarriage, the statistics for it happening go way down. You guys actually, if you were here when Sarah and I arrived, you would have kind of met Peanut because she was still around then. But then we lost her too. Sure didn't plan that. So I'm not going to sit here and say that God is as intimately involved in our fertility or, or yours as he was in the case with Abram and Sarai. He may not literally be opening and closing the womb, as it were. But as we think about what life is and how we engage with it, I can tell you unequivocally that Sarah and I would not be where we're at today, would not have the same understanding of what happened 
if we didn't trust and have faith in a God who ultimately keeps his promises that at the end of the road, everything is going to be okay. Okay? We may not understand what happens between now and then. We may not like what happens between now and then. But we trust that God is making all things work for good for those who love him. Amen? This is, this is what we rest on. This is what we cling to. And so, as we come on this end of it, we understand that God can use what we do for his glory. 2 Corinthians 1.4 reads, He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. 2 Corinthians 1.4. And so that's a very beautiful understanding of how God can take something terrible in our lives that's not according to our plans and use them for his glory and use them to bless and to love on somebody else. So we're trying to rest in that, knowing everything is going to be okay. But in the passage we're reading today, God has made specific promises to Abram. And we can, and he can, rest assured that those are going to happen. In fact, we know that they are going to happen, being on this end of it. And Abram needs to have faith and be patient because God, just as he's still working in Sarah and I's example, or in all of your examples who have gone through pain and suffering, God is still working through Abrams. And this is why verse 6 is so interesting, because the narrative, the narrator of the story jumps in to make sure everybody's on the same page. This is the verse where it talks about faith, and it was counted to Abram as righteousness, because he's not saying that Abram all of a sudden has faith, and this is a brand new thing. What he's saying is that the faith that Abram has that has been growing, it is that thing precisely that is what is helping him be counted as righteous. So it's not what he's doing, it's what he believes. And so God is counting to him as righteousness. And this, the same thing goes for us. Why is this a big deal? Well, this is a big deal because we can see that there's a very important connection between having faith in God and following God. There's two New Testament uh, passages that I wanted to draw our attention to. The first one uh, is written by the Apostle Paul. It's written in chapter 4, and he goes into this passage that we're talking about. It's in verses 24 and 25, and he writes, This is why it was, quote, credited to him as righteousness. So that's, he's quoting our, our verse 6. The words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, like for Abram alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our, this is another 99 cent theological word, for our justification. Justification, friends, means to be declared righteous. Doesn't mean that all of a sudden we are perfect. It means that the way God sees us, we are righteous in his eyes now. And that is because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Okay? Weird. Any questions about that? Okay, good. I want to make sure that we, because uh, that's super key to getting this. So essentially we're going to be, we're okay in front of, or in the eyes of God. So 
Jesus' sacrifice then, just to be clear, that is how we know that everything is going to be okay, ultimately. It's, it's 100% because of Jesus' sacrifice. Second passage is uh, written by Jesus' brother, James, in uh, chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. And it reads, also talking about the actions of Abram in our passage. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Remember that? called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Okay, so if you, this, we're getting into kind of an interesting area here because if you read uh, Romans 4 from the beginning, you'll see that Paul says uh, Abram was not declared righteous because of works. It was faith alone. But then Paul, or sorry, James just said, intimated that it's by works as well as faith. So wait a minute. Is this one of those spots in the Bible where there's a contradiction and then this is actually proving the, the Bible wrong? Is that what's going? No, it's not. It's, that's totally not. Those things don't exist. Like, there's, there's no such thing as a contradiction in the Bible that proves it wrong. Just in case anybody um, has told you that, that that's just, it's, it's not true. And so this is clearly not it. This is how we... We, do, we look at this, okay? We're going to employ the services of one John Calvin. He of 16th century theologian stuff. And he writes, as Paul contends that we are justified, so declared righteous, apart from the help of works. So you're, you're brought into God's family, not by what you do, but by what you believe, okay? That's what he's saying. So James does not allow those who lack good works to be called righteous, do you, see the, do you see the distinction? So essentially what he's saying is like to be in God's family, all it takes is belief, but to show you're in God's family, there needs to be some, there's got to be some proof in the pudding. That's what is, is happening. Okay? There we all, we're all on the same page with that. So why is this important? This is important because God's plan to prepare his people for a place entails people doing stuff like having faith in him, but then also going to Lake Arok or, or, or whatever. They, they gotta, they gotta, we got to do stuff, essentially. And in order to make it happen from the beginning in our passage, Abram and all of these descendants that he's going to have, they need somewhere to live. And so God is saying, here is this land. And Abram is going, how in the world am I supposed to get this land? Because there's a whole bunch of people living in it right now, and all of them hate me. How in the world is this going to happen? So in scene two, God graciously, in a very, for us, bizarre way, comes to Abram's level and shows him in a, in a ceremony that someone who lived 4,000 years ago would understand. And, and, and by bizarre, I mean the, the cutting of the animals and going in between them and, and all of that stuff. So we're going to just talk about that ceremony for a second. It's funny, I can remember when Sarah and I got engaged, I went to Quebec and she was really surprised and she goes, Chris, how do I know that you're telling me the truth, right? She didn't believe me. And I said, I thought for a second, and I'm like, bring me your cat. <laughs> and, a, and a saw. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but no, but <laughs> cat lovers are like, I hate that guy. <laughs> but seriously, though, this is a, this is a very practical way that God is, he's taking something. We don't know a lot of the symbolism that goes on with this ceremony. We, we interpret scripture with scripture. 
And there's not a lot of explanation as you read through as to what all of the different parts of this mean, okay? But what we do know is this Abram in a very practical, precise way, showing Abram and giving him assurance that everything that he's saying is going to happen. He's providing him with that assurance because it is important. So he starts off by giving him this future history lesson, talking about the Egyptian slavery and all that, and that his descendants are going to endure. And then this in verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give this land. It's funny, when you look at the Hebrew there, when it says, I give this land, it's actually, the, the, the connotation there is, I've given. Like, it's, it's, he's talking about a future event, but it's something in God's mind that's already occurred. So God making this, Ab- this covenant with Abram is so, so important, because this is God doubling down on the covenant that he already made with Noah, saying that he is in this with people. He is going to walk alongside us through all of our face plants and bring us along to a point where he can live with us forever in heaven. Had we done up this point, had we done anything to give him any confidence that we're going to get there? Not really, right? Like this isn't very much longer or very much past Babel. And we remember what, gong sh- what kind of a gong show Babel was, right? Everybody's getting spread out and all this stuff. People are still, by and large, doing things their own way. I think today, I think, we can still do that quite a bit ourselves. But nevertheless, these promises hold. God is in it for us. It's for his glory, ultimately, but he's not abandoning us. And that's what this ceremony reminds us. Because remember, this isn't, it's not because of the Israelites' righteousness. If you read in Deuteronomy 9, Moses says to the Israelites as they're going into the land, remember in verse five, this is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you're going to possess this land, right? Because this, we, if you read in uh, verse 18, it talks about the iniquity of the Amal- Amalekites. It's not finished yet, okay? Or at the end of verse 17, it's not finished yet. So he's telling them, not because of your righteousness, Israel's righteousness, or the uprightness of your heart that you're going to possess the land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you, that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abram, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He's fulfilling his promises. He's, he's bringing judgment on people that have brought it upon themselves, but he's fulfilling a promise that he made to these people to provide them with a place that ultimately was going to be used for God's glory. Okay, so not only is that someone that we can trust, but this is and, and have faith in. This is somebody that we want to follow because they're going to go where we need to go, even if the road doesn't look like it goes there. So, as I wrap this up, this is a, a great reminder for us to reflect and ask ourselves what we want to be remembered for. Because I mean. Friends, ups and downs, like, this is going to be a part of life. Because I know, I know we, we hate this because of the drama and all this stuff. But if we're living like this, it kind of means either we're really, really boring or we're dead, right? So there's going to be some ups and downs, particularly if we're putting ourselves out there and living for God, right? There's going to be blood because following God can be a messy business for imperfect people, 
Remember, Abram's the hero one minute, but the goat the next. But how he's remembered by, if you read through the New Testament, Hebrews 11, how's he remembered? Mostly. It's a hero, right? They look at him as, as a guy that had a lot of faith, even though he screwed up a whole bunch, right? Because when we read this passage, it's not necessarily a bad thing for him to be asking God. Like, I, I, I never gave you, I never talked to you guys about the t- summer I met Sarah in uh, Poland in the Speedo. Did I ever tell you that story? Okay, just, just really quick. So, <laughs> there's like, thank you. So, okay, before we, we met in Poland, before we got there, we got an email from the, the missionary that was staying there giving us a list of stuff that we needed to bring. And at the end of the list, it was like, guys, don't forget your Speedo. But if, if you don't have one, you can borrow one. And I'm reading this, and for, like, two questions crossed mind. First, I was like, who owns a Speedo? Right? That's the first question. And then the second thing I thought was, one does not simply borrow a Speedo. <laughs> That's out of the question. Right? So I, I answer, I, I emailed back. Are you kidding me? Right? Like, is this, like, are you, jo- are you messing with me? Because I kind of thought he was. Sarah, on the other, she's, this is a group email. She's reading this. We'd never met. And she's like, how dare he? He's questioning the authority of the missionary. Him and this guy, we are not going to get along. Right? <laughs> Oh, really? We're not, not going to get along, hey? We get along, okay. But I wasn't questioning his authority. I was just asking a question because when something is, is opposed to us, particularly when it seems insane or impossible, asking questions are a good thing, right? Like, Abram should be asking God, how in the world am I going to have I'm in my mid-80s, man. How am I going to have these kids? How am I going to get this land? How in the world are you going to pull this off? Do you, have you seen these guys? They're huge, how is this going to happen? When we think about, Ernie, I'm glad you read that earlier. I'll give you your $5 later. When we think about what we are trying to do, what our vision is here at Central to reach the entire Eastern Fraser Valley with the gospel. Like if God doesn't show up, if he doesn't do something there, then like we should be asking the question, how in the world, Lord, is that going to happen? We can't figure this out on our own. It's like trying to figure out parachute pants in the 90s. Nobody's, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> so what do you want to be remembered for? Friends, do you want to be remembered for being fearful or fearless? For, for being full of faith or faithless? We need to take stock and, and look back once in a while. Soren Kierkegaard wrote that life must be lived looking forward, but can only be understood looking backward. Where has God taken you? And know that everything that you have gone through in your life, God can and will use in this current season of your life for his glory. Believe that. So there I was, I was in the middle of nowhere and I was hanging out with Luis, my new friend. Remember my new friend Luis? And we're on this, we're on this path and he's beckoning me into the, into the jungle. And I thought, well... God, I, I sure hope you got this one. And, and I think I said follow. He's asked me to follow him, but he actually wanted me to go first. And I, and I remember thinking, is this dude going to plant a machete in my back? Like, is this? But I thought, you know, like, God, you've gotten me this far. And so, I mean, would it have been easier for me to, to trust if it had been Jesus standing there? Maybe. But in, in some ways he was, because as far as I was concerned, I was asking, answering a call from God to be doing what I was doing. 
So this little tiny bit of faith I was able to muster and a little bit of courage actually went a long way. Luis took me to Calderas. I managed to get there. I was able to give them the information and then I could turn around and go back home. The, the way home was actually more harrowing. It involved a, a little truck with a live bull in the back, but that's a, a story for a different day. See, friends, it's, all, it's about the mission, right? And these adventures that God takes us on, it's always about the mission. God started this mission with some guy named Abram from Ur, and he continues, however imperfectly, on my part, to work through some guy named Chris and someone quite a bit more perfectly working through a girl named Sarah or Jimmy or Jenny or, or whatever your name is, God wants to work through you. So have faith. Fear not, have faith and follow him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning and thank you for this time that we can spend in your word and to think about Abram and his wonderful story of uh, peaks and valleys. Lord, we, we want to follow you as best we can, but we know and, and we're constantly reminded that we do fall short, right? Our sins are many, but your mercy is more. So God, we beg you to keep working on us, to keep, to, to fulfill that promise that you made in Philippians 1.6, that you're going to continue to work on us until the day your son returns. Because we need you to do everything that you've asked us to do. We want to do it. We want to do it in your power, not ours, for your glory, not ours. It's your mission, Lord, and we thank you for including us on it. We pray in your name. Amen.